Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning into Front Row Knowles. KJ and I can't thank you enough for continuing to listen as we get into, I think, our 10th year of Front Row Knowles. Also, a special thanks to Seminole Boosters, who continues to support the program. The schedule is out. Quick reminder, your ticket and priority renewal deadline is April 18th. Great schedule, great optimism, great excitement about what's ahead in 2023. None of it's possible without Seminole Boosters. So to those of you who are members, thank you. To those of you who are not, log on to SeminoleBoosters.com to learn more. And now, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles and Keith. We have a game, a showcase to recap, a showcase to recap. Well, Where would you like, like to begin? You're just like Coach Norvell. He began his post-showcase press conference by referencing the Garnet and Gold Spring game, and then he corrected himself. Um, it it had aspects of a game. It was It was the proverbial glorified scrimmage, but I think the use of the term showcase is going to be much more significant particularly of the 23 season is, as we all hope, uh, we'll look back on the spring game known as the showcase and understand why it was referred that way. A couple things. Let's start with the crowd, first of all. So there was no concert after the showcase. There was really an effort not to hype the game. In fact, it was the opposite. We called it a showcase. Hey, everybody, it's not a game. I thought the crowd was pretty decent, which speaks to the excitement, I think, that that uh, is around this team. And then uh, and we'll talk about this with Kurt Weiler in the next couple of segments. Uh, certainly a lot more to like than than to dislike. And it's hard to tell sometimes. I mean, you got green jerseys on a lot of guys. You got key people sitting out. The main thing is you don't want to get anybody hurt. And I, we, I think we checked that box for the most part. So all in all, a successful spring. I get tickled when you talk about attendance and things. Uh, any of our listeners that do anything on social media, they'll know that there was a long string of how disappointed Florida State must be in the attendance for their game because some idiot took a photograph out of the uh, alumni side of the uh, student side, and, and there weren't very many people there because that's where the sun was. But last I checked, they had tickets, and last I checked, there were over 31,000 people there, which is a pretty good draw for a spring game. Uh, I didn't even yeah, realize it was that high. I just, I just eyeballed it and thought this is, this is pretty respectful. Exactly. People want to see what's going on. And, and in terms of, you know, who wasn't there and who wasn't practicing, there was some known commodities, but we also saw some of the younger guys that got an opportunity to quote unquote showcase and, uh, and did. And so overall, I was very pleased with what I saw. Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, we'll talk more detailed with Kurt. Uh, I, you know, I thought Tate made some really good throws. I happened to be standing in the end zone on the one he threw to Rodney Hill. That was a beautiful ball, and Hill had a really good camp. Kalen Deloach obviously played really well at linebacker. Um, you know, there's, I, there's just a lot of guys that, that stood out for just having good springs overall. And, when we do it this way, it makes it sound like if we don't mention the name, he had a bad spring. And it's not to say that at all. I, th I think the biggest takeaway when you've got a bullseye on your back, 
you got to work. We're going to talk about this a lot. You can't just buy into the hype and think you can goof off like you've arrived. It's actually the opposite. And I, I think that was the approach that the team took. I think that's the approach that Norvell is going to make sure they take is that they're putting in the sweat equity. There's no question that he sets the standard. And, and if you, if for some folks that had never been to a practice before, i.e. a showcase and or a game, whatever we're going to call it, um, and just watch Norvell and how he operates during, you know, scrimmages, et cetera. Um, if, if it is true, and I believe it is, that the team reflects his leadership, uh, he sets the tone. To your point about practice, and then we'll talk with Kurt Weiler in our next segment. You go to practice, you know, they'll take a water break for a couple minutes, and Norvell will scream out 90 seconds, which doesn't mean sit around and wait until there's 20 seconds to get back in action. It means get going now to get to wherever your next drill is because everybody moves at the minute and a half mark when the head coach starts yelling. So that is that is setting the tone. All right, we'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, let's dive into the spring game as we open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline. The Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. And let me correct myself, it was a spring showcase. And as Kurt Weiler, our Osceola insider, joined us, Kurt, what kind of showcase was it? I mean, the, the column I wrote afterwards, I think, and I think I, I stand by, I mean, it was a showcase of how far this program's come. I mean, we didn't have a, a 2020 spring game, I guess, because that was right after COVID. And I think they did it. They played it on NCAA, the video game, right? I think it was uh, Wally Ime against Alex Atkins. But I mean, just from the 2020 season, from, I mean, what that team looked like, the team that Mike Norell inherited to where they are now. I mean, the top end talent, they've, they've both like inherited developed got acquired i mean the depth look at the two serviceable offensive lines that they had i mean that's kind of a testament to the work they've done i just i think it showed i mean i think it showed that uh, that 2022 was no fluke and i think it showed that uh i mean just how far they've come i made the comment to someone when they texted me and said how did they look i said i saw a whole lot of good and just a little bit of bad and it's been a long time since we've been able to say that you, you are not wrong, KJ. You know what I remember, uh, KJ? I'm going to give you credit on this. I guess it would have been Jordan Travis and James Blackman. I don't remember. Was that the 21 spring game? I don't know. I've lost track of it. But after the spring game, you were one of the only ones who thought that Travis was was looked better after that. And, and the, the talking point was, well, he was just throwing little short throws over the middle. I mean, that's not sustainable. He's not the quarterback of the future. Do you remember this? You're looking at me. You don't even remember this, Keith, and I'm trying no, to get you I credit. remember it, and, 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 you know, I was not one of those guys that ever jumped on that bandwagon that said Travis can't throw the ball because I had talked to a couple of people that had seen some things that he did in practice. Now, he wasn't as accurate as he wanted to be, but he always could throw the ball. I never understood that criticism. Well, it felt a, like the criticism as much as anything came from the fact that, I mean, his whole first year here, they never played him, even when they were kind of bouncing back and forth between Alex Hornibrook and James Blackman. And then when they finally played him, they barely let him throw the ball. It was almost all running. It felt like FSU kind of, with how they used him, almost created that narrative. Possibly, possibly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, and you're right. Now that you mentioned those years, I guess it was pre-COVID. I can't remember. Jordan's been here a while, I guess. He's yeah, still... I think it might have been 2019. That was his yeah. first year. Yeah, so in, in that from that standpoint, 
uh, having a guy this season, and, and let's start there because Norvell has sung his praises a lot, Kurt. Did you see the growth both in leadership and consistency and decision-making across the board from Jordan this spring? Yeah, I think so. I think leadership's a big part of that because I know, I mean, Jordan is not the natural vocal leader type like maybe a Fabian Lovett is or a Jared Verse has become or a Jamie Robinson was. I think it's not kind of something that came naturally to him and he's kind of had to grow in that regard and maybe step outside of his comfort zone a little and be in that vocal leader. And I've definitely seen that from him. I mean, he, he had the interception in the spring game, but honestly, to me, that was a the the defense has been going against the the offense and knows they've seen that play and know what the routes are because they've been going against them for 15 practices i don't worry about that but you know he, he did look very consistent this spring i mean i think uh what they they didn't use him at all in the first scrimmage they used him i think for one drive and he led a 13 play touchdown drive in the second scrimmage and it was kind of a it's just i mean he's a known commodity and that's the luxury of i mean having a guy who's been around for so long and who's developed into such a promising player i mean just that yeah i think uh you, you kind of got to use the other three guys as much as you did because of the known commodity that is Jordan. Kurt, folks, you know, obviously compare him to, to Charlie Ward uh, in terms of, you know, he's the quarterback. He's also a running quarterback. But I think one of the things that's often overlooked is that Charlie had to develop that leadership mentality. He's a quiet, reserved kind of guy. And, and so in that aspect I, I don't compare Jordan and Charlie in terms of what they do on the field that's yet to be seen but I do think there's an accurate comparison of how Charlie had to grow into that leadership role much like Jordan has had to grow into that leadership role yeah I mean when when Jordan started you're right I think leadership wise I think it's 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 valid because yeah I think I mean having not not being around when uh, when Charlie Ward was playing here but but meeting Charlie talking to Charlie quite a few times yeah he is still I mean not the most like charismatic gregarious guy he's a guy who definitely needs to come out of his shell a little bit it feels like and, and has had to grow comfortable in that and yeah i've seen that with jordan for sure and i mean i think uh the comparison i mean obviously jordan i think has long since surpassed or a while ago surpassed charlie kind of in in rushing yards for a quarterback i think a lot of people i've heard i mean in today's college football it would be fascinating to see what a charlie ward could do because obviously back then it was a different game to, to a degree, but I think the, the on and off field comparison between the two of them is pretty apt. It would be interesting in today's pro football to see what Charlie Ward that could too. do since that he, has changed, but that's a, that's he, a different topic, but I mean, he may uh, have gone to the NFL instead of the NBA. I think yeah, it was a yeah, smart choice changed. for the time, but yeah, for sure. Could have changed things. So really the question about quarterback has not been about Jordan. It's been about the guys behind him. And uh, your thoughts there on the three? I mean, I know what the what the narrative is. We've talked about it, but there's three guys there, one of them more veteran than the other two. Yeah, I, I liked what I saw from Tate this spring. I think. I mean, I think there's a world where he holds on to his 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 spot as kind of the backup. I mean, especially it was nice to see him have spring game success. I know he hasn't had a hasn't had a ton of that. I mean, I remember the 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 meme from a few years ago of Norvell kind of I think during the I think maybe two years ago or last year giving him a death stare after some kind of mistake he made. And he's come a long way. I mean that Louisville game I think was big for him. But also this spring's been big for him and he's made some really nice throws. I liked what I saw from from AJ Duffy. I think he hit the freshman wall pretty hard last year. It seemed like that from what we saw out of practice. And I think the reset did good for him. And I saw kind of growth from freshman year from him. And I think he's a guy who will contend in that in that in that battle a year from now. And similarly, Brock Glenn, I was impressed with what I saw. I mean, I know you talk to people who kind of say, and and having seen it, I agree. I think the ball 
comes out of his hand a little differently. I mean, he's got some zip on there, and I think uh, people have been impressed with the mentality he's come in with. I think he's been a guy who, I mean, has been pretty confident right away and I think made some strides this spring and and has been, I think, what they thought they they were getting. And, I mean, it proved all the more how big it was staying on him and flipping him from Ohio State to, to get him in the class after it didn't look like he would be for a while there. Kurt, is it fair to make the uh, one-step, two-step? The offensive line is improving. Still has work ahead, but they're improving. And as a result, the quarterback play will get better. I think it's done wonders for those guys. I mean, I think years ago you would say, like, back when Jordan Travis was maybe running third team behind, what, Alex Hornibrook and James Blackman, or back, like, when even as recently as last year, that second or third team offensive line that A.J. was behind in practice wasn't wasn't doing a ton for kind of giving him the confidence he need or the time he needed to kind of make plays and feel confident in what he's doing. And I think, yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest place you're maybe seeing that is, I mean, the second team offensive line, how much better they are, even maybe down to the third team. I mean, you're developing those guys to the point where yes, it extends far beyond the first team. And I think that does do wonders for what they can do in practice. And because of that, I mean, how their confidence can grow and just how more comfortable they can feel running the offense because they have, I mean, as capable an offensive line as there's been in this program in years. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So it used to be on the OL. You had like three guys you knew were going to start, and then you'd flip a coin on, uh, you know, who's the least worst, right, to put in there in the fourth and fifth spot. Now it's kind of gone the other way. So do you have any idea of who, what would your first five be or what the first five may be? Oh, it's tough. I mean, you, there are going to be some good players who were left off of that. And I mean, the good thing is as long as hopefully you can convince them, hopefully they don't, they don't, see writing on the wall and, and maybe look elsewhere. I mean, to, to think you're in Florida State's in a spot where it could lose some offensive linemen it doesn't want to lose speaks to how far they've come. But, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I've i really liked what I've seen from Bless Harris. I think he's really pushing for that that left tackle spot right with Robert Scott. Robert Scott wasn't out there this spring. He was uh, injured, and so he – think it, it, it'll be interesting to see how that affects, how that affects Rob. Um, I think Maurice has got that center spot on lock. Looking at the guard spots, I mean, I, I like what I saw from Casey Roddick there. Dimitri Emanuel feels like he'll be in there somewhere getting that waiver. And a right tackle, I mean, I think Julian Armella could be in the mix there. I really like Jeremiah Byers a lot. I think uh, I think Jeremiah was one of the guys who impressed me a, a great deal, kind of making that jump from, from the group of five level to the power five level this offseason. I mean, he looks like a guy who was kind of an all-conference player at, at UTEP. And so I would probably say – Bless, Casey Roddick, Maurice, Dimitri, Jeremiah Byers. But but truthfully, you have so many options that, I mean, the nice thing is there's attrition's going to happen. It always does. It seems like you never make it through a year with kind of your five offensive linemen starting all however many games you play. So the nice thing is, I mean, you have so many options where a Robert Scott, if he's not there, a Darius Washington, if he's not there, a Keandre Jones, if he's not there, uh, Julian Armella, uh, Bryson Estes, you have a lot of guys I think you think you can, you have faith in. Did you see anything to make you question whether our, uh, our confidence in that defensive front should be questioned? No, no. I, I, I think they, I think it's funny. I mean, I think we were high on the depth of that defensive line, especially defensive tackles going into last year. And then that was kind of maybe proven to be a bit, 
premature with we saw kind of how the, how the line missed Fady and Lovett when they were without him after he went down with that LSU injury. I think it is actually kind of I think this year's line is going to be what we thought going into the year last year's line was. I think, I mean, another year for Josh Farmer and how much Josh had to play last year, I think did wonders for him. And he might have been, I mean, the most impressive defensive player to me this spring. I think Daryl Jackson, I mean, if he, supposing he gets the waiver, which I know hasn't been fully settled yet, would, I mean, had, had really looked apart and I think will be a really important piece there. I mean, he may have the some of the biggest upside in, in that group in terms of draft prospects. And we didn't even really get to see Braden Fisk. I mean, I think uh, the defensive tackle room is, I mean, legitimately five or six deep, I think. And that's a big deal for how they can rotate them. I'll be interested. I mean, defensive ends, I liked what I saw from Byron Turner kind of stepping into probably that, that fourth role that Derek McClendon would have been in before he, he left halfway through the spring. That's a position where I'm interested if they, they look at maybe a transfer addition, if they're looking for one more, I like Gilbert Edmond. I I'm interested how much he's able to play. I mean, obviously you like the, uh, the top two, you like Jared and Pat Payton, I think who are assuming will be the, the starters and, and beyond them. I think you, you like what you saw from some younger guys, but that's a spot where, I'd be interested if they don't want to maybe look for one more piece to bring in with losing Derek, but I, I, I absolutely like the unit. Looking for and finding are different things. So if they yep. don't land somebody there, is it a, uh, is it a dire situation? Is it one where Fisk or uh, Dennis Briggs could take some snaps outside? I mean, how, how significant is it if they don't get somebody else? I don't think it's a need by any means. I think it's a, I mean, you, it's the, I mean, you almost want to have too much depth so that if injuries happen, I mean, obviously Jared, it felt like Jared after the injury last year was never kind of hundred percent again. We never saw, I guess, I, I don't think that LSU game Jared versus again, after he suffered the injury against Louisville, he was still impactful, but to a, to a lesser degree. So I don't think it's a need by any means. I like what I saw from some other guys out there from a Bishop Thomas who kind of moved out there from, from tackle. Uh, some other guys in the, I mean, in the mix there as well, but it's about, I mean, if, if your goals are going to be what you, what you, I think this team wants their goals to be. And I mean, Mike Darrell talked about his, his press conference before spring started. He talked about, I mean, look at that team that won the national title and how they rotated defensive linemen and how big a deal that is. And I mean, I think you, you feel pretty good about four guys at defensive end beyond that is a question. So it's about, I mean, it's not to say that guys can't emerge, but there's some unprovenness to a lot of guys, maybe beyond those top three. So it, it will be interesting to see how they handle that. Hey guys, how about a comment we haven't said in four or five years? I kind of like the linebackers. <laughs> that to me is probably, I mean, the unit where I had questions about the depth of that unit coming into spring and I have a, a number less now. I mean, obviously you knew what you had mostly in the top three guys and you only for the most part, last few years have been playing two at a time, which helps that. But Kalen, I mean, Kalen was incredible in the spring game. And I know Adam Fuller was really high on him thinking like that's a player who he can be all the time. And we've liked what we've seen from Tatum Bethune and from DJ Lundy. But Omar Graham really impressed me this spring as kind of that retro freshman. He looks ready to, I mean, he's, I think, started the spring game and he looks ready to take that next step. I, I liked what I saw from DeMarco Ward. I kind of didn't know. I mean, he was a bit of a, uh, a, a less notable guy at linebacker in the class behind uh, Blake Nicholson, who's going to get here this summer from California. And I like Blake, but I, I like 
Camargo too, having seen him in spring practice, I think he's a guy who belongs at this level and can play here, maybe not this spring, but, or this, this season, but, but long-term, I think for sure. And yeah, I, I like that, that unit, I think top to bottom a lot more than I did. That's another one. I'll be interested if they, they were to, if you lose Brandon Gant, if you were to look at a transfer, I think the transfer spots they're looking at would be on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm not sure they need one. I think they might be okay because I, of like you said, what what we saw this this spring. You just mentioned that the needs would be on the defensive side of the ball. The one area we didn't address has been this question from the last couple of weeks of who's going to be the number two receiver. Tell you, let's let's take a break and then we'll come back and, and dive into that and get your thoughts on that. This is Front Row Knowles. We'll continue with Kurt Weiler in a moment. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back, Tom, KJ, and Kurt. And so, Kurt, to what I teased before the break there, uh, first of all, do you think it's a legitimate concern as to who is the number two, or do you think there's enough potential parts and pieces there that even if it's by committee, uh, it's not going to be a huge glaring issue. I mean, I think the number two, he's been really one, maybe the most single most impactful guy all spring, but also I think was in the spring game. I think Kentron Portier is becoming that guy. I mean, he was really the guy you saw Saturday was really the guy who he was a lot of the spring. I was impressed with, I mean, his, his playmaking ability is I think really come a long way. And I, there were a few days, he had a few drops here and there, but what I liked throughout the course of spring is how he bounced back from those. It was never compounding drops, or it was always a drop, but he would bounce back and make the play kind of the next time the ball came his way. I think he, I mean, size-wise and the speed, I mean, I'm not saying he's not quite maybe Johnny Wilson, but I think he is a capable number two. And I think I, I like, I mean, I think there are a number of guys too. So long as they're, they're maybe a bit healthier than they were to close out spring, I know Coach Norvell kind of talked about, I mean, some guys were limited there. Obviously, we knew about Micah Pittman. Johnny Wilson didn't play in the spring game. And so, yeah, I think they're I, – I, I, I get some of that. But also, I mean, I think even the freshman, I think you liked what you saw from Hakeem Williams. And the guy who was less highly rated, but I think more impressive this spring was Vandravius Jacobs. He came in and made an instant impact. I think can play as a freshman, too, in that group. I know this, guys. As a former defensive back, I would hate to line up with the four wide being Johnny – Portier, Micah, and if if Wright rounds himself back into form, it's been a long time since you've put four wide receivers out, if you went four wide, that would have that kind of talent. And I, I wonder, Keith, is it is it that route or does it become Jaheim Bell in the tight end? So like last year, and I don't have the figures and the numbers in front of me, but it felt like Cam was two to three catches a game and Pokey was four to five, right? So what if this year it's three catches for Portier, but it's four to five for for Bell or the other tight ends? You still have as many pieces you got to defend. I, when I when I think about it, about about Pokey, it's not the it's not the volume, it's the magnitude. He made some really big catches. He did not have key drops. He had key catches, and that to me is what you're trying to replace. It's not four catches for seventy yards. It's the catch when your quarterback's getting plastered and you make a one-hand grab against LSU. That's what the, 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 they're trying to replace. Well, and I think the, the luxury that they're going to be able to be afforded with the, the kind of surplus of awesome talent, especially at the skill positions that they have, 
is that I think they'll be able to mix and match that somewhat. I think they'll be able to in their scouting reports, which I think we've, I, I don't want to speak for y'all. I think they've done a pretty good job with their scouting reports. That's been proven to be a, 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 a plus and that, like the, something that this coaching staff does well. And I think there will be weeks where it might be, Oh, this is a Jaheem. Jaheem can, can be something we exploit that we see in the defensive film. And there may be weeks where it's Kentron and there may be weeks where it's Kyle Morlock. I mean, when you have guys who all kind of bring different skills or different strengths to the table, I think that's something that, I mean, you can mix and match pretty well. And I think they'll, they'll do that pretty well. Not, not to get off track guys, but you, you bring up a point, you know, Kurt, yes, planning, game planning, but I, I, what I like with this offensive staff is what I perceive to be in-game adjustments. And so, sure. you know, if, if, if they're going to take away the four wide and not going to let you run that, then you go two wide with two tight ends. You now have the capability to do that. You've got the personnel with enough talent to make those in-game adjustments when you need to. No, yeah, yeah I, I did 100%. Kurt, wrapping up on spring, I just, let's see who we're leaving out. I'm just thinking of names that, you've mentioned or that that appear to have had really good springs uh, Josh Farmer Patrick Payton uh Rodney Hill Brock Glenn opened some eyes Kentron Portier Kalen DeLoach uh who else I mean I'm leaving out Jordan Travis and Jared Burst but but who else kind of jumped out for good reasons I liked what I saw from I mean another transfer edition Fentel Fentrell Cypress it was a, definitely a guy who I mean he's not the, the biggest corner, I think he's listed six foot, which might mean he's actually 5'11". That's normally how some of those things tend to tend to be done on the, the official like team's websites. But, I, I mean, they put him against Johnny a lot. They put him against Duspan, the kind of the guys who had that size advantage on him, and it didn't seem to stop him. I thought he acquitted himself uh, pretty well there. I think another guy who, who turned heads this spring was Amarion Cooper moving back to safety. I think uh, – he didn't have, obviously, the sophomore year I think anyone expected after a really impactful true freshman year in 2021. I think he was never another guy who I know picked up that injury, was maybe never quite himself, never got up to speed, and I think struggled because of it. But I know coaching staff was impressed with uh, kind of the, the the team first attitude he had of being open to trying some stuff out at safety, and they, they obviously need depth there with losing a guy like Jamie. I mean, that's the main hole they kind of have to fill on their defense and I think he's a guy who uh has 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 looked good in making that in making that change or working more at safety as well you know one of the things I hope comes out of all of this now as we're entering you know kind of the the middle part of the Norvell which you'll hopefully be, be a very long career at Florida State is back to the age-old thing I don't have to start as a freshman or a sophomore I just need my playing time and then when I get to my junior year or my senior year, because the program attracts attention, I don't have to show out. The NFL will find me. And, and, and that, I think, is going to be the next hurdle that I hope this squad is able to overcome, where, where a, a, a defensive tackle doesn't worry about starting. He just worries about his 30 or 35 snaps, and he'll be found. Yeah, I mean, I think that was no doubt a, a critical part of Bobby and how Bobby Bowden built this program. It's tougher for Norvell because the transfer portal era, and I mean, there are no doubt we we you don't want to to think about it too much, but I'm sure there are. There's the tampering going on where teams are reaching out to freshmen who maybe didn't play a ton but are talented, and they're like, "Don't you want to come start right away now? Why do you want to wait your turn?" I mean, that's 
happening. It's it is a a reality of today's college football, unfortunately. So, I think the good news for Florida State is the people are more willing to do that when they're seeing it work for other people. When you're seeing what Kentron Portier, how he's kind of gradually become who he is. Renardo Green is a guy who waited his turn and has kind of become who he is. I mean, Akeem Dent fits that mold. I think. I mean, there are quite a few guys. I mean, Marquise and Douglas is a guy who I think is is in line. I mean, even with the two tight ends they brought in is bought into what his role can be. And I mean, it's still going to see the field plenty. It helps when you're seeing that. I think it also helps when you're having success, when you're coming <laughs> off a 10 win season. Winning solves a number of problems. Uh, it is easier to be willing to wait your turn. No doubt when uh, there's that chance to to win a ring or maybe even multiple rings. I mean, that's, that definitely helps matters. So Kurt, last spring football question, spring showcase question. I don't want to paint it as everything is rosy, but it feels like Florida State's in pretty good shape. Uh, so, and some of the, the potential issues feel a little bit manufactured, like special teams. I mean, I don't, both kickers could make 100 kicks in a row right now every day at spring practice, and nobody would feel any better until they'd made them in a game, right? So I don't know if that's an issue or not. Uh, the punt returner without Micah, the, you know, who's your, another defensive end. I mean, what, what do you come away from the spring saying, well, this is an area that's going to burn them if they don't improve. The kicker thing is interesting. I don't think either kicker had a decided advantage over the other this spring. I didn't come away thinking, I think there were days where Ryan Fitzgerald was notably better. There were days where Tyler Keltner was notably better. And see, that's kind of a problem. They both had some, some bad misses. I will say, I'm not going to, I mean, think, for, for a guy like Tyler Keltner, Tallahassee native, yes, he's had a lot of, I mean, he was an all-conference kicker, I think, at ETSU. But now he's the hometown team. There's pressure that comes with that, and that's not an easy thing to just, like, even if you can try and separate the two, I, I imagine that's not the easiest thing. And and I don't know. I mean, I think that is something where it helps when you're, I mean, it helps when you have a coach like Mike Norvell who, it feels like it's very cutting edge when it comes to fourth down decisions, no doubt. But I think that is something that, that to be interested, how, how that settles. Um, and there's not, truthfully coming out of spring, there's not a, any one thing I'm looking at of, I don't feel as good about this as I did coming into spring. I think, I mean, if you thought this team had a chance of making the playoff coming out of spring, I, I kind of, I still feel that way. I mean, honestly, I think, uh, it, it, I, I was impressed. I mean, we're lucky to get to watch as much as we do. And, and I, uh, I, I, there's not, there's not a ton. I mean, safety will be interesting after Jamie, but you've like, you've got so many guys and you'll be able to find out the, the, the proper group there for sure. Well, let's, let's switch gears then real quick. I know you've got a story on the, uh, on the site right now in the Osceola and we're talking with Kurt Weiler, Osceola insider about Warwick Dunn. People listening to this show are familiar with Warwick Dunn, but the story never gets old. And he was in Tallahassee again on uh, Tuesday, uh, earlier today, as we're recording. Uh, and and what what number of homes are we up to now in his homes for the holidays program? It's so today was 213 and 214. That's amazing. And it's uh, like 25 years. Yeah, you, you commented this is the first time you've been there for, for one of these uh reveals if that's the right word so uh share you know a lot of people have heard about it but if you haven't been there I, it's been several years since i've been there but it's pretty impactful when you talk about i mean when you can witness the life that's going to be changing no doubt i mean it's the focus is on the single parents i think today so the, the one i was there for i left between the two um was i think only of the 200 plus only the fifth single father it's been a lot of single mothers this was a single father who I think, I mean, Warwick was, was given back to, and yeah, I mean, his, his charity covers the, the down payment on a house that's kind of built from scratch. I know part of it, the, the family 
helps build a house. They kind of put in, they say sweat equity is, is something they help do, but it's furnished by like furnished to the nines by errands. I mean, they've been partners, I think with works charity for over 20 years to get the house kind of ready to move into today. And I mean, it's just, it is, I mean, you see in the faces and I talked to him about kind of like, he's like seeing their faces never gets old. I mean, he's done this over 200 times, but it, it, it never gets old seeing, I mean, the impact that you have in, in helping change someone's life. And it never gets old seeing work done. I mean, that is a guy that was committed from day one during his playing days and now is a retired uh, NFL player and entrepreneur. I, I had occasion to speak with him Sunday night at the uh, Billy Sexton dinner. And um, I mean, he doesn't remember me or know me from Adam's house cat per se, but always cordial, always nice, always a smile on his face. I mean, he's just a guy you want to pull for. No doubt. He remind me, is he is he part owner, like a minority owner of the Falcons? Yes. And Buster Posey's a minority owner of the of the Giants and Bay. That's not too bad for uh, you know, kid from Baton Rouge and a kid from Leesburg, Georgia. We're doing all right, I guess, there. <laughs> Are you part owner of anything significant that you want to disclose, Keith? Um other than this show? <laughs> I, I'm the majority owner of this show. I just I tell people that. I'm <laughs> well, not that's a minority owner, I'm the majority owner. <laughs> Well, Kurt, we appreciate uh, catching up and uh, your insight and uh, enjoy not having to go to practice until August when it'll be probably 65 degrees, won't be too hot or anything like that next time you're out there. Yeah, I'm already looking forward to that. No, I am looking forward to the fall, but yeah, I will enjoy the summer. All right. Well said. We appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us here. We'll take a break. Come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to uh, Kurt for joining us as always to, uh, to recap the spring showcase going a little deeper into football right now because we've got several months where we can't go quite as deep but uh, Keith anything you want to add that we didn't touch on in those two segments you know I thought it was amazing you kind of alluded to this earlier that the crowd was as good as it was without extra benefit you know no concert um, that type of thing it was just a true scrimmage and people were wanting and willing to show up for it and, and the kids showed out for it you know another thing and and people saw some of this on the sideline, uh, but a lot of former players were back. And I think Norvell has really worked hard to foster that relationship with former players. You can speak to this much more than I can because you're a former player. Uh, but it's not just in, in open communications. It's in when he's asked questions about this team, he refers to, well, that's what this program is built on. We're doing this for all the bricks that were laid by the guys before us, that kind of thing. And uh, you know, there were a lot of guys on the sideline first half, and uh, I was involved in an event on Friday night that had several former players back. But I'm talking about Charlie Ward and Snoop Minnis and Peter Warwick and, uh, you know, big, big names that are coming back for what is a glorified practice, really. It shows that they're bought in. I'm going to drop a name on you that you and I, as someone that you and I are very familiar with, that I had not seen at a Florida State event in a long, long time, but I spent some time with P.T. Willis on Saturday 
and it's been a long time since Peter Tom has been uh, in Tallahassee to watch a game, at least that I knew of, and he's bought in. In fact, you'll appreciate this. You know how PT is. Uh, he was he was critiquing the quarterbacks the entire time. Well, he missed this one. Needs to move his feet this way. Needs to do turn his shoulders this way. I mean, PT never quits. He's always been uh, a very meticulous preparer, and uh, he he was he was riding everybody equally hard uh, during the showcase. I, I got a big pick. I got really tickled about that. Well, one of the things that I think is undersold on quarterbacks, Keith, is how competitive they are. That's true too. And- and, and PT, Brad Johnson, Casey Will, and you go back to all those guys that used to compete in whatever they called the Olympics when they would get together with Mark Richt and compete in, in literally ping pong and jump rope and big wheel racing and golf and everything else. I mean, if you could keep score, they were keeping score on it. Hey, enlighten our listeners. Uh, you, you were uh, at the dinner, the fundraiser for, uh, for Billy Sexton, for Coach Sexton on Sunday. Uh, just, just share a little bit uh, of what that uh, evening was like. Well, two or three things, just an observation. Great turnout. The entire restaurant was held at glory days. They, they closed the restaurant to the public. It was completely part of the dinner. It was completely full, completely full. Coach Norvell came. You know, uh, again, showcase was on Saturday. The last practice was on Monday. He came, uh, visited with everybody. He was there almost close to an hour. Um, Charlie was there, Warwick Dunn was there, Bar Nunn was there, Sammy Smith was there. Um, you know, it, it was amazing uh, as to the people. And probably as encouraging to me as anything, this is the first time I had been around Coach Sexton since he uh, suffered his stroke some six or seven months ago. And uh, you and I were talking off air. I don't know what my expectation was. Uh, but when he came in, I, he came in the back way, and I had a chance to visit with him for 30 seconds before you know, people noticed that he was there. And he was alert. He was walking. He was not in a wheelchair. He was walking with a walker. Uh, he made eye contact. He cannot speak. He has trouble forming his words. Uh, but he blinked, and he had a smile on his face. And I was just overwhelmed. I mean, he, his attitude was apparent. Joy, his daughter Leslie were there with him. Uh, I was really encouraged. He's got a long way to go. He's got a long way to go. But I uh, was very, very uh, pleased to see him. And I think he was unbelievably overjoyed to see that outpouring of love and support. Uh, and of course, Gene, Gene was on the, on the mic, uh, not just during the program, but the entire time. Sammy Smith and, and William Floyd told a couple of stories about uh, uh, things that Coach Sexton had taught them about uh, rip and lift, rip and lift, and, and two hands in the thicket, two hands in the thicket, and other things that uh, you, know, you would not pay attention to unless you'd been on a practice field 20 years or 25 years ago. Uh, and uh, it was a really, really good time. And I was very appreciative of Coach Norvell making a, an appearance and not just showing up and leaving. He was there for a while and everybody else that contributed to it. Wish Billy continued success, thoughts and prayers. And um, if anybody can beat this thing, Tommy, uh, one William Sexton can do it. I can guarantee you that. It's, I'm glad you shared all that. That's certainly very encouraging and uh, appreciate you sharing that. I, I mentioned uh, in a, a booster event on uh, Friday night, Corey Simon had reached out and asked me to uh, participate. It was a panel discussion. And I think, you know, my, my connectivity is that I've been around a while now, uh, kind of like you KJ, right? So these were guys, 
you know, Sean Hamlet was one of them, Charlie Ward from the 93 team. Uh, most recently, he had uh, Brian Stork and Kenny Shaw from the 2013 team, and also Connell Spain. And really, the panel discussion, this was Friday night at the uh, Dunlap Champions Club, was just about how tough it is for, for student athletes to transition when you finally give up football. And, uh, and candidly, Connell Spain, who's a really funny guy, and uh, he's, he, he shared with the group that he's getting married soon, his first marriage, so congratulations there. But he shared that he went through a period of his life where he contemplated taking his own life. And, uh, you know, to, there, you could, you, uh, I mean, nobody was making a sound in the room when he was sharing these details. But, uh, you, you know, the good news is that all these guys have landed on their feet and, and, and are being really productive and successful in what they're doing. But uh, you kind of take for granted that you go from scoring touchdowns and having a crowd go crazy for you, that you just automatically flip a switch and it works in a boardroom or whatever business you go into. But you know, Keith, it's not that easy to make that transition. What you miss, what I missed the most was the notoriety. I know our listeners won't believe this, but athletes, myself included, we have a little bit of an ego. Uh, we want to be recognized for what we've done. Uh, we think we hold a special place. And all of that is true, but it's not completely true. And it's not what makes up our life. And whether you transition immediately out of college or whether you're fortunate enough to play in the league for a while and then have to transition, it's still a transition. You've got to go back to normalcy because football, football is a game. It's not normal life. And at some point, you've got to live normally. Yeah, that's well said. All right, KJ, we're out of time. We will do this again next week. Good to catch up with you, sir. Always, always. And thank you to you, the listener, for uh, tuning in to Front Row Knowles. We will uh, talk to you again next week. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for joining us on Front Row Knowles.